This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. The entire league is unavailable. Except, perhaps, for Captain Marvel. He's missing. I can't. If I say it, I'll be an adult. And maybe disappear forever. Captain Marvel may have the courage of Achilles, but Billy Batson has the courage of Billy Batson. Shazam! Whoa! Hey! I didn't disappear! Recognized. Captain Marvel, one, five. All right, guys, I'm here to... You're back! Is it over? Where's the team? Haven't you heard? Every child in the world has... Zatara, wait. Captain, where have you been? On a world without grown-ups. Holy moly, there are two worlds. Two dimensions. One for adults. And one for kids. And you can travel between them? I think I can. I, I know I can. Shazam! Where did you come from? Who are you? Quick, read my mind. <gasps> he's Captain Marvel. Yeah, and I'm Speedy Gonzalez. Look, just because he believes he's Captain... Gee, Wally, do I really have to bring you nachos and pineapple juice to get on your good side? There will be threats in both dimensions, and we may not be familiar with our opponents. But the key to this mission is a coordinated, simultaneous attack. Agreed. Our best chance against sorcery is to strike fast, disrupt their efforts, and hope the two dimensions merge naturally back into one. Come back, baby! Come back! The boys are back in town! We are back, baby. We are back. We are back. Plastic. We are back. We are back. We are getting back. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. Have all four sidekicks ever been in the same place at the same time? Don't call us sidekicks. Not after today. I'm back in business, baby! Why let them tell us what to do? It's simple. Get on board or get out of the way. You just don't get it, do you? You went off mission. That was a huge mistake. Impulse? That's so crash! I'm back, baby! Why isn't anyone ever just whelmed? 
Hello, everyone. Welcome to Everyone Loves Young Justice, episode number two. I'm Rob. And I'm Jay. This podcast is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. You can find us across social media on Twitter at ELYJ Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ELYJ Pod. You can email into the show now that the show is live and running on iTunes, which is really cool. You can do that at EL. Yeah. <laughs> you can uh, e- email us at ELYJ Podcast at Yahoo.com. And if you listen now, on iTunes. Leave a review there to help spread the word of the show. We will start reading iTunes reviews now that that feed is officially up and running. And I have received a couple comments already through Twitter and over at the Batman Universe. I did not have them pulled for this episode, but we will start doing that in future episodes. We'll kind of let, now that the show has only been out just a, a month, We'll let the kind of the iTunes and uh, comments come in, and we'll kind of compile them together. So, how are you doing uh, this evening? Uh, at least here in Ohio, a cold winter's day, but it sounds like your temperature might be a little bit warmer than what yeah, mine is. Um, I'm in Texas, so it, it, things are typically a little bit warmer here. It's uh, it was really cold, at least for us, for a couple of days, but it's it started to warm up. Which, uh, like I was saying off off mic uh, earlier, we have a like a big church celebration outdoors tomorrow uh, that I'm going to be playing during. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad that it's going to warm up, but <laughs> if it decides to snow the next day or get cold, I'm okay. Just, j- just hold off one day. <laughs> I am also playing tomorrow at a church service. It is going to be about 20 degrees and we will be inside. <laughs> yes, yes. So. Not the same church services, not the same state <laughs> no, or not. even time zone either. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, this episode number two here, and I, I love... I love hearing like little behind the scenes things of podcasts. The last episode that you heard was kind of the intro was really kind of cannibalized between something that we had recorded right when the Young Justice number one Brian Michael Bendis issue had come out and part of the intro of our first original recording because we were kind of talking about the Young Justice characters coming back. So we've kind of bounced around and had done, all right, we'll do issues, you know, one and two in the DC 1 million crossover young justice issue, and then kind of jump to 2019. And now we're circling all the way back to the original beginning. So if that math problem doesn't make your head hurt, I don't know (laughs) what's going to. So this is a, today we're going to be talking about two books. Today we're taking a look at uh, justice league America's world without grownups. Now, I don't know about you, Jay, but I had never read this before. I didn't even really know the book existed until about mid-season of the Young Justice cartoon series, where I was kind of reading reading online that the episode is called Misplaced, and the description for Misplaced says, when every adult on the planet disappears because of a spell cast by, I can never pronounce his name, uh, the witch boy Krylon, or Clarion. Clarion, my gosh. Uh, uh, it says only the team, uh, Zatanna, Billy, Batston, are left to figure out what's going on. So I saw that episode. Oh, I thought, oh, that's pretty cool that he's able to say, you know, Shazam and travel back and forth between the kids' world and the adult world, and the team puts it together. And then, you know, while getting ready for the show, I read this and I was like, oh, 
well, that makes more sense. I kind of wish I had that knowledge going in to that episode. So had you read this story? Um, I don't know how I didn't read this before, other than I probably had gotten off of the JLA book probably maybe a year before this time. So that maybe explained why I didn't read it. But uh, do you have any history with the story? Yeah, I uh, actually read it when it first came out. Uh, it mm. was, I don't know if they had actually announced a Young Justice book yet, because this came out before, uh, you know, the mm. Young Justice title, obviously, because this is technically the first team up with uh, Robin, Impulse, and Superboy all together. But, I mean, this was a time when I was reading uh, pretty much anything that had Tim Drake, Robin on the cover. Mm. So I so I saw this. If you had fallen off of like the JLA a wagon, which I was reading some of that too, uh, more in trades, but I was reading, uh, reading uh, uh, some of uh, Grant Morrison, like Howard Porter, like their their JLA run. Then, so if you weren't paying attention to that, then that maybe White did fly under the radar because it's not called anything like you know right. Young Justice World Without Grownups. I mean, it is billed as a Justice League of America book. But yeah, I got this both issues. If not when they came out, then shortly thereafter and uh, read it all together there. So, yeah, I mean, I had not read it since then up until just a few months ago when I read through this uh, Young Justice Volume 1 trade that came out about a year or so ago. But uh, mm-hmm. I do have some history with it. This this book is actually where I learned that there is a word called bedlam and what it means so so the, the, that's uh that's the big takeaway from this book for me yeah that, same here and that was just you know from you know having recently read the book just the uh notes on this this came out in august of 1998 executive editor was mike harlan the uh, cover artist is i'm gonna but i'm gonna butcher these names Humberto ramos and uh Wayne Foucher are the cover artist, and then Mike McCone is also credited as doing it. And it's really kind of interesting. Uh, We'll kind of talk about it once we get into the interior of the book. So we're going to pause right here. We're going to play a couple promos. And when we come back, Jay and myself will talk you through these two issues of JLA, World Without Grownups. We'll be right back in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Long Halloween, Hush, Dark Knight Returns, The Killing Joke. These are all Batman stories that have been talked about and talked about countless times over the years. They are considered classics, and in most cases, that title is fitting. The thing is, Batman is nearly eight decades old, and whilst those stories are worth talking about, there are plenty of other Bat comics that are being a tad overlooked. And that's where we come in. Hi, everybody. My name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Andrew Leyland. Andy and I decided that it was a crime that there were so many great Batman stories out there that weren't getting their due. To that end, we started a show, The Overlooked Dark Knight, a non-indexed index show. Our goal is to talk about the previously mentioned Overlooked stories and tell you why they're worth your time. The show comes out twice a month, with the first episode focusing on the back books from the late 70s and early 80s. We're starting with the Len Wein run and working our way forward through the books written by Jerry Conway and eventually Doug Mensch. On the second episode of the month, we'll dig into the various adventure comics that were based on the Fox Kids slash Kids WB Batman animated shows because they're really good and hardly anyone seems to remember that they exist. The show can be found at the Fortress of Bailitude Podcasting Network, which is located at www.fortressofbailitude.com. The Overlooked Dark Knight, 
the non-index index show. Shining a bat signal on the bat stories that no one seems to remember or care about. Because somebody has to. Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International. Blah ha podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? Recognize Robin B two zero. All right, we're back. So there's where uh, those were a couple promos right there from some other uh, podcasters that we uh, listen to from time to time, and uh, some other shows you ought to check out. I was really kind of looking forward to getting to to talk to you about this, how the whole story starts out, and I kind of want to just look at the front cover now. I believe both you and I are looking through this, because I don't have the single issues of these two. Uh, we're both looking at it from book one, a Young Justice trade that just came out, like you said, a year ago. Yeah, uh, through yeah, I am uh, got it pulled up on Comixology. I love the front cover for issue one, where like the surprint of Batman, Martian Manhunter, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Kyle Rayner's Green Lantern, and Superman are behind Robin and uh, Impulse and a Superboy <laughs> riding a roller coaster. So I think this is really cool. It's like there's some telekinesis maybe coming off of Superboy's hands here. And I always forget the Superboy wears gloves. Every time I see it, I think, is that something new? Did they end up uh, ditching that early on in the uh, Young Justice run? But as I'm kind of flipping through here, he's he has has his gloves. I don't know why I always remember him being gloveless. So uh, what do you think about the this uh, front cover? I like it quite a bit. Like we'll get into in the book proper, one of these styles I prefer over the other. Uh, not to say other one's bad. It's just uh, I feel like Ramos's just aesthetic fits the boys a lot better than... Mike Cocone, yeah. Mike uh, Cocone, yeah. Um, it's not bad at all. It it actually fits the older characters much more than the the younger characters. But again, we'll get into that. But no, it's a really cool cover. I like the blending of styles because it shows mm-hmm. you what this book is all about. It's a it's a separation between kids and adults, and you even have a hint that there's something less just outright fun, like you would think from the the foreground picture by Ramos, but maybe something more sinister or tragic going on with a Superman holding, you know, a stuffed teddy bear in the background. So it's like clearly even there, you can tell that things aren't the way they should be in this story. Uh, So it's a, this cover tells a nice story all by itself. Yeah. And it took me, um, I think I read this, Early on, when I first got the book, right before you know we had even kind of announced the show, but was wanting to read some of the Young Justice issues that I may have missed, and these were 
uh, the first three books I never had. So I think while doing some notes and prep work for the show, I'm like, what is, you know, Superman holding? I thought, oh, that's the teddy bear. And it really kind of fits in, like you said. So let's uh, crack this thing open here. And the the art style, like like we were just talking about with Mike McCone in the beginning, this seems more of like, oh, this looks like this is his Teen Titans work that he would do with Jeff Johns later. So um, just in the splash page of Robin taking on this thug and being uh, jumping over the top of him just felt very natural. Thought, oh, I was kind of expecting us to go right to the Young Justice style here. But like you said, there there's a switch between you know the arts and everything like that. I love the narration that Tim Drake has as he's jumping over the guy and a cool reference to Bane ends up coming up here with him slipping on some mud or some oil actually says fluid and gets taken up over the guy's head. Now I wanted to ask you, is this some quick decision by Tim? Cause it looks like he gets bounced off the back part of the wall. Is it Batman that actually saves Tim or is it just dumb luck by Tim and this uh, would-be Bane guy. No, I mean, it in the, gosh, what is it, page four, I think it is, but um, you can see Batman's fist kind of flying. It's really oh, stylized. Uh, okay. You, yeah, you can see it. it. It's easy to miss, though. In fact, I wouldn't have even thought of it if you hadn't asked the question. Uh, I but, thought it was just part of the cape coming through because it has, like, the F-H-U-D, but it, it almost gave a look like that could be Robin's cape, and they have both hit the back part of the wall, so... Yeah, definitely. Like, maybe he slipped on some of the oil uh, Tim did as well. But no, I think it's it's definitely Batman coming to his rescue, but that, that kind of sets up the theme uh, that's a recurring theme that's going to be coming up between this this little scene and then the next few scenes with uh, Superboy and Impulse that, you know, maybe they aren't as adjusted and aren't as mature and aren't as skilled as they think they would need to be to be heroes. And this is something by 1998, now that Tim has been Robin for a decent amount of time here, and uh, I'm almost leaving out the would-be page three here, the top of that gives the shot of Robin vaulting over the guy with his bow staff and actually causing the oil spill that he ends up slipping in. But for Tim to be this kind of careless by 1998, I think... Even now, knowing where we are in the Drake podcast, I, this would kind of rub me a little raw, like almost kind of regressing Tim that he he is still this careless that Batman has to be like, you got to go back to the Batcave and, you know, I'm, I'm going to go after the guy. I might believe it out of Bart and maybe Connor a little bit, but Robin at this point and Robin doesn't make mistakes too much like this in the Young Justice series, but kind of setting this up, I I think, seems a little off character for the Tim Drake that if you're reading his solo series, can't have the main lead of the book being like, whoops, I got to have, you know, another hero from another book come save me. Right. So did you have a problem with that at all? Yeah, it is a little weird, uh, like you said, especially timeline wise, where Tim is in his development, which is being reminded from uh, listening to a lot of the Drake episodes is just how far Tim came and how unsure of 
with himself he was wanting to prove that he could be as good as as uh, dick in the role even though he knew that he would have to work even harder for it so it does seem a little strange especially because it's like uh come on i mean you know you need to treat every confrontation with a with a villain like it's something serious but this guy is not bane or the joker thing right I'm pretty sure you know even though he maybe slipped up here literally he slipped up um <laughs> he could have found a way out of it and i mean ju- just to uh mention that that panel that you're talking about where he does the uh flip and everything there are some things with especially tim's portrayal here just visually that are a little off like the very first time we see him he has like a five head he is <laughs> yeah. his hairline is really far back or his head is really big and um yeah, his his hair just sits really high on top of it i'm kind of a sucker for those kind of uh depictions of doing flips in the air where it's just the figure the the one character figure just moving about the panel to show mm-hmm. uh, the line of movement. I really like that. Uh, a lot of characters do that with Nightwing, just show him like flipping and somersaulting through the air. So I think this that's a really cool panel there. I like that a lot. And but yeah, I mean this it's a little bit of a you know almost necessity to have Batman treating him like that just because there wouldn't be that conflict in the story. I feel like they may have been able to get a little more of that tension in a more believable manner that didn't seem like it was regressing Tim as a character. So going from that, we get the samurai robot that says is bent on duking it out with the man of steel, which is who he's looking for. If you've seen it's escaping me right now, a reign of the Superman, this kind of seems like this is kind of like Superboy's first entrance kind of in, in that as well, almost plays off like a, a Reign of the Superman comic and, you know, animated. But uh, this is where Superboy comes in and uh, has got a group of, you know, Metropolis citizens that he's going to kind of show off in front of and does what he assumes a, a superhero is going to do. Uh, beat the bad guy, beat the giant robot, throw cars through windows and want to go take off. And there's... Uh, Lex Luthor looks a little weird here. If they would not have said Lex Luthor, I don't know if I would have like, oh, it's just some fat bald guy, you know, not not the lean, mean business suit uh, Lex Luthor that Superman has to come in and uh, tell Superboy, no, no, this is this is what we need to do. We're here to help save the citizens, but we're going to clean up. And I, I like the the running gag or the running line between Robin Superboy and, you know, impulse when Superman says, come on, kid, I'm going to give you a hand. Like you're, I'm going to help you clean up the city that you helped save, but you also helped destroy that. Uh, all three of them end up saying the line, Oh man, like, great. I'm, I'm being grounded or I'm, I'm being punished here, which I, I I think really plays into Superboy's cockiness that uh, I'm trying to be like good old blue, but I'm going to do it. My, cool hip way and not really thinking about his consequences and how people could have gotten hurt. And as quickly as they were crying out for somebody to save them, they're just about ready to be like, Hey, Hey, you just threw a car through, <laughs> through yeah. a window. So what'd you think of uh, Superboy's uh, introduction? 
Uh, frankly, of the three, this one's my favorite. I think the action. Uh, same here. Yeah, I think the action's really good. I haven't seen Reign of the Superman yet. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I loved the Death of Superman movie from last year, and mm. heard it's a good, uh, good continuation of it. And if there's a scene like this in there, uh, no doubt I'll at least enjoy Superboy's introduction. But whereas Robin's scene almost seemed like taking um, a step back. With his portrayal and characterization and, you know, maturity and trust and everything with Batman. Uh, This is definitely a progression from Superboy when he was first introduced in uh, the Reign of the Superman story arc. That's what I was looking for. Uh, Because back then he insisted people called him Superman because he would say he's the real deal. He is Mm -hmm. the real Superman. But then, you know, this giant samurai robot, which I love being able to combine words like that and say <laughs> yeah, things like samurai robots, um, you know, calls him Superman. He says, no, Jolly Tin Giant Superboy. Boy. So, you know, he's he's recognized that he's not the real deal, you know, the genuine article and will, you know, correct people because – a, he knows he's not Superman, but he also knows that he has his own identity as Superboy. So it's not just, it's not totally altruistic, I'd say. You know, there is some of that, you know, nope, nope, Superman is the real, uh, you know, the is a completely different guy. But I want everyone to know it was Superboy who did this. Right, right, <laughs> Instead right. Of Superman getting it. Yeah, the um, appearance of Luthor was... Maybe not not necessarily weird, but it does just there's really nothing much to it. You get the hints that maybe he was behind the scheme, of course, and uh, like yeah, normal. Probably. But um, I do like the conversation between Superboy and Superman. That even even when Superman's like, "Listen, you got to take responsibility for your actions," uh, you know, kind of scolding him. Mm-hmm. But even then, at the end, he ends with, "Come on, I'll help you." I, I, I really liked that. As the opposite of the of the previous with. Batman running off to take care of the bad guy and sending Robin home. Superman's the flip of that of like, come on, we're going to do this together. You know, yeah, we're both wearing the S's. We're both, you know, citizens of Metropolis. And then the complete 180 degrees, I think in the order that I like these introductories, if this was, you know, your first time in 98, really reading these three characters, I think I like the Superboy beat, the impulse beat and the Robin beat just kind of seems like, it was almost lifted from the Chuck Dixon run, like, hey, we're going to use a sequence here. Uh, yeah, like an but, outtake from an early issue. Yeah, 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 definitely. This with Bart is just, <laughs> it is very wordy, but like in one, two, three sentences, other than, you know, Maxwell and everyone else that's involved in here and just all the crazy stuff of Bart having to wait for popcorn to be popped and how slow. A, a microwave is, and you think, wow, that's a heck of a lot faster than cooking it on the stove, and yeah. him catching the kernels, and being told to do his homework and to slow down, which I like that that's a, that pays off uh, very well later in the story, that, you know, yeah, you could speed read through everything, but you're not going to retain anything, you're not going to learn anything, you're going to miss something if all you do is blow through everything, and I really liked Bart's uh, just erratic behavior that, again, if you weren't reading Impulse or anything like this, you're getting a really good character introduction to uh, Bart Allen. What'd you think of Bart's introduction? Yeah, if Superboys was maybe, I think maybe that one told the best little little story in its mm-hmm. in its few pages. Uh, Impulses may have been the 
best introduction to the character if you don't know who he is you know it's it's clear that he is impatient and also has super speed and because he has super speed he's even more impatient so there's Mm -hmm. you know just him running around the kitchen going pop 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 like it's torture to him anytime the microwave pops one of those pieces of one of those kernels uh so it's a good introduction to to bart kind of his uh uh scatterbrain behavior you have one of the trademark kind of fantasy thought balloons that he gets with max pouring some uh what is that supposed to be like soda or something on it oh it's molasses molasses it's a molasses on his head just to uh you know like oh my gosh he's gonna make me slow down by you know pouring a sticky substance on me you know that's how also he is but then he he loses his train of thought and ends up going to puerto rico where he tries to find the chupacabra oh chupacabra that's right yeah yeah but i mean yeah he finds like a a raccoon or or something (laughs) but yeah i mean it's 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 a fun introduction to bart it's you get what you need to know about the character there's not an awful lot of story here but it's just uh, you get to know who he is, how he barely pays attention. He can't pay attention to save his life sometimes, but you also get the uh, dynamic, uh, the kind of the family dynamic between him and uh, Max Mercury and uh, how they play off of each other and uh, everything. So it, it's, it's a fun sequence. Uh, I really like this one too. And then if that isn't uh, with all three of them, they are still very respectful to their elders in this like Tim knows okay I'm going to listen to Batman I'm, I'm going to go to the cave right. you know Superboy Connor is going to help clean up the city and Bart reluctantly is going to do homework because that's what the adult figure has said we get to Matt here for his birthday and his dad has been gone on this expedition around the world and he's not even really into his birthday he's not into his family or his friends and is so has such almost disdain for his dad coming home that his dad gives him this dumb little trinket for one of his expeditions, and he ends up taking it and just running upstairs, and almost really wishes that he wasn't even around, or if dad is going to be gone, maybe he shouldn't have come home. The, the complete opposite here is another team, but is having a complete 180 from the other three boys, and how different teenagers could be and just the he wants the play almost the play nintendo playstation nintendo which is kind of funny that plays in right a little bit like the soda cola you know yeah the, the soda cola <laughs> in universe knockoff stuff <laughs> <laughs> right quote unquote birthday present he gets from his dad in his room with his oasis poster which i thought was really <laughs> really kind of funny i was like wow we we did date this book to 1998 yeah um he lets out Bedlam, or and then slash ends up becoming Bedlam as the story goes on. So Matt's introduction to the story is really where the main crux of the the story is going to play out. Uh, But he realizing he has a power of a god, or maybe that he even could be God himself. You know, dare he say Uh, a line here? But he says, "We'll just see what a world will be like if I was in charge. Yeah, we'll see. And then we'll get into what happens right after that. But what'd you think of uh, Matt's introduction? I mean, you're not supposed to like this kid. Right. I don't like this kid. <laughs> right off the bat. He sucks. <laughs> he's, a, he's a little punk. <laughs> right. And really, the story shouldn't have even started because should his dad be 
bringing home trinkets he finds on an expedition <laughs> shouldn't he be turning that in right. to, uh, like indiana jones it yeah, belongs exactly. in a museum <laughs> but no i mean it, it's it sets up the character in the way that that it should i mean you're not supposed to like this kid if there was a lot of dialogue in bart scene that at least flowed really well just because you had the good chemistry and dynamic between him and max this is really exposition heavy and kind of oh, yeah clunky and a little difficult to read just because there's so much of it and i mean by design the kid's unlikable but it's like i don't like this kid and i don't want to hear what he has to say or listen to him complain anymore again that's by design but it's a little tougher to get through just because of that uh one thing i did like for just a stylistic choice was the the lettering and the narration whenever he opens up the 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 trinket that uh crystal you know cave or whatever it is that tiny the, crystal uh, t- the tiny, tiny crystal, crystal chamber chamber yeah. yep uh, when he opens that the narration goes from uh when it says and he drowns in the dark purple energy it starts as a pretty pretty consistent just rectangle with uh, some s- the similar lettering as before but then the narration boxes kind of start morphing into a more jagged edge, kind of like you evoking kind of like a, you know, a papyrus or something, you know, an old piece of paper or a tablet that's been broken around the edge. And even if it's the same lettering, it looks different because of that. I thought that was an interesting choice because it, yes. it makes it feel like this is a really old uh, force that he's dealing with. Someone with a lot of power who's who has been around for you know eons millennia what, what have you and um that was a cool stylistic choice and uh, i like some of the visuals here it's just some of the writing was a little a little expository a little tough to read but visually it was a cool sequence to get through uh, uh so that that certainly helped the the panel layout is done in uh strips and kind of like this purple triangular diamond is almost like a that, like a helix it looks kind of like yeah. a dna helix without the um you know the lines in between but it it kind of has that feel and like you said it's very like information dumpy this was a, a section while we were getting ready for the show today that i as i was reading this was a page that i read a couple times because i was like my gosh this kid's a <laughs> a pain in the butt you know yeah. coming from the the boys in this which you know like you said, you're not supposed to like him. Yeah. What, but one one thing I just noticed, oh my gosh, this this read through is when he is saying at the end of this scene, you know, well, we'll just see what the world would be like if I was in charge. Yeah, we'll just see. In the photo below, mm-hmm. the adults disappear. I never noticed that before. They're there yeah, in I, one panel, they kind of fade out in the next, and then they're gone in the third. Yeah, and I didn't pick that up in the first initial read, but uh, earlier this morning as I was reading, I was like, oh, cool, that's that's a nice little beat if you weren't paying attention that you you don't get that initial hint like, oh, he just wiped out all the parents from existence until you get midway through the story, which is where we're going right now with Mrs. McElbaim in the Drake Manor that is going to go knock on Tim's door and Tim's not there. And then you get a series of parents looking for their children. And it all culminates with them being out in the center of the streets calling for them. 
And then it goes back to Max, Mercury's place, and he's pacing around, which I don't believe at this time he even thinks that he's missing rather than he's just gone. And you kind of see some news clips of Max watching TV from the special news report that it almost looks like parents are almost committing suicide. Like Wonder Woman is having to save somebody from a building because the children are gone. And then this goes back to the watchtower. Something I really want to talk about, and you could talk about that section as well, is the Justice League. I really like this version of Justice League and remembering who the Flash is in this. Mm. Now that we've been living in the Rebirth universe and we've watched BVS and the Flash TV series and Justice League with having Barry Allen back, that this is the Wally West version of Flash. And we've got Plastic Man, Hook Hand, uh, Jason Momoa, I mean Aquaman, <laughs> and uh, Martian Manhunter. Kyle. <laughs> yeah, Steel, Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern, which is my favorite Green Lantern. Mine too. And then Superman and Wonder Woman rounding out the Justice League. So, like we were saying, this is the Grant Morrison era-ish of Justice League. So, and if you want to talk on the Justice League and then, you know, the children missing. I mean, just sequentially, chronologically, the children missing scene as a parent is pretty effectively terrifying because, you know, that's one thing that no parent ever wants to have to go through is, you know, their child going missing or, uh, you know, losing them in any mm. way. So it's it's very short, very brief, but you can tell just the escalating panic from anybody, everybody, because like you said on the news reports, it looks like people are, you know, trying to end their lives out of grief just from losing their children kind of throws back to the uh, the first impulse scene where, yeah, maybe Max doesn't think that Bart's missing at first, just because he has the propensity to just run off because something grabbed his attention. He's like, Ooh, I'm going to go, you know, run up to Canada and see if I could find, you know, the Wendigo or something. You know, right. he, he's bound to do that until it kind of settles in that something isn't right here. And then like you, the scene in the watchtower, this, I mean, this, this is and was and will be my Justice League, just this team. And then not just the core, you know, big seven members, but you know, Steel, Plastic Man, Orion and Big Barda were a part of the mm-hmm. team at this point. Uh, right. Huntress and Oracle, she was on there. Uh, they were on there as well. So I really love seeing seeing them. Wally, uh, I've never been a huge Flash guy, but I like the Wally West Flash the most. Uh, just because he's the one I have the most exposure to, but also right. I feel like just how his story played out with Barry's sacrifice and crisis and then Wally growing up from Kid Flash into Flash, I thought it was a really great progression of the character, well-earned and deserved by him. And then, you know, being the Flash and his own Flash and his own man for, you know, 20 years almost. Right. So I feel like that was a just a, a one, one of the great... I wouldn't say transformations, but uh, one of the great long game arcs for a character just with growth uh, was for Wally. So, yeah, I, I love going back to this era and reading about him. And then Kyle, I mean, like that, I mean, just in this era, not a not a Hal Jordan guy. I'm a Kyle, no. Kyle Rayner guy. Same here. Hal is my least favorite of the Earth's Green Lanterns, frankly. <laughs> Same here. 
But yeah, I mean, I really like Kyle. He's fun to read. And this scene is fun to read with the play between them because he and Wally are probably about the same age. But it's funny that Wally almost has this, if not authority, he at least, you know, knows what to do in this kind of situation. And then Kyle cracks a joke and then he busts his chops for it. Right. So so I just thought that was funny. And then he makes the point like, you know, plastic man here can make stupid faces all the time and everyone cracks up, but I try to lighten the mood in this tragic time and everyone's giving me grief. You know, that, that was a pretty funny scene. And then Wally and steel just getting fed up and walking off. It was, it was pretty funny to read. What I've also really liked about this era is Martian Manhunter's like stoic, the way Morrison wrote him, very, very stoic, very centered, very matter of fact, that he and Aquaman are going back and forth with the situation and what the two of them can try and come up with and how many other leaguers are they going to have to interact with. The next section that comes up, I think, is a fun section. There's a lot to digest. We'll kind of go through this quickly with on a world without parents. What are the kids going to do? anything their heart desires and i think it eventually ends up going the way that they think the way it would go it it would be fun for about 30 seconds until you realize um we're in over our heads right you got kids driving cars they, it looks like in one there's a boy trying to look up a girl's skirt in one scene surfing on top of cars driving cars operating chainsaws, daring each other to jump off a roof, and uh, I'm sure the umbrella will help you, and maybe you can will yourself to fly, trying to smoke, you know, all these different things. Mary Marvel coming in, which I, I've i always loved the Mary Marvel, Mary Marvel character, but we're starting to see some future Titans and some future Young Justice members in here with Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., Arrowette, Wonder Girl officially makes her first appearance chronologically All right, uh, yeah. in this. Uh, we get a little shot of spoiler in here, which is our, I was really surprised about. Uh, but all of the teens that are, are still around, and then you kind of get into the big three with Superboy, which this scene is is a cool moment for Connor taking down this fighter jet. But I go, all right, I can believe that they got in the hangar and that maybe the kid was able to get in the jet. But I'm like, come on, he's really going to be able to take off <laughs> he's not getting that and fly <laughs> for an extended, <laughs> extended period of time. So, but I just, I like the sequences of all the kids and then, each of the three main characters of Superboy, Robin, and Bart having to take care of the zoo or take care of just uh, all these crazy things that are going on in town before Robin can uh, gather the troops, so to speak, together. So what do you think about this whole huge you know, section of the kids just having this gigantic play day on the first day without parents? Yeah, I mean... You know, as a kid, this is stuff that you dream of doing, you know, doing some sweet ollies off your parents' car, you know, on your skateboard or or something like that. But, I mean, as an adult reading it, I mean, it's still kind of fun. Like, oh, man, I wish I was, you know, young that I could daydream and think that this stuff would maybe work out. But then as an adult, realizing 
things like, yeah, a kid playing with a chainsaw is not going to end up good for anybody. But even then, thinking about, well, how long is this world going to last without adults to control things like sewage and sanitation department and, you know, the, the water department and all sorts of things? You know, how long would this world last with these kids not knowing what to do? Thankfully, you've got the young heroes, especially Superboy. Like you said, I like this scene with him because even though he's depicted a lot as kind of a meathead and just a typical quote unquote typical teenage boy, just, you know, all about the uh, all about the ladies, all about showing off and everything. He at least recognizes when he needs to be mature and when he needs to do the right thing. So I like that, you know, suspending the disbelief that this kid would even be able to get that airplane off the ground. It's a fun scene just seeing all the younger characters who, you know, just a few pages before were being chastised and chided by their mentors for not being responsible enough and not being uh, mature enough to handle it. But them and their and their contemporaries, you know, like the Teen Titans and Arrowette and Wonder Girl and the Marvels and everybody stepping up and doing what needs to be done because they're the only ones that are there to do it. So uh, I really liked all of these this long sequence of events and uh, the introduction to Superboy, Robin, and Impulse. Each one of those scenes is pretty cool too. Yeah, that whole sequence I I think is really good. the The team ends up making it into the Bat Cave, and there's some some pretty cool moments in there with Tim doing the typical detective work, trying to figure out what they know, how things are going on, realizing that there is sending a signal to the Watchtower, and realizing there is no Watchtower. I think this moment with Bart, I believe, if I remember our one of our earlier podcastings with, we get this suit reference again in issue one, almost played to the fact like, hey, if you didn't read this particular issue, this was a good moment of Bart wondering what this costume is. And Tim, you know, fr- rightfully so, freaking out about, you know, getting away from the, of all the things that Bart can do and be destructive, that's the one thing Tim's trying to preserve and maybe even what it still represents. I thought that was a good beat. They end up finding Billy Batston, which I liked this, and I liked the little nod to he had enough sense or duty, I guess you could say, to go to the radio station or the TV station where he was essentially, I guess, interning from at the time, if I'm remembering that correctly, where it's whiz, what is it, uh, F.A. WC, and if you know your Shazam uh, reference enough, that he made his first appearance in Wiz Comics, which I thought was a really pretty cool reference right there. Mm-hmm. And then the flip side to that would be the Justice League. We get President Clinton, if this doesn't also <laughs> date the book, and all the things that the Justice League are trying to figure out, much like the Young Justice is figuring out that Wally has to say, what aren't we looking for? If we've checked everything that we could possibly think of, it's almost like a Spock (laughs) would say in Star Trek, if you eliminate the possible, no matter what's left, no matter how improbable must be the truth. So what's that thing they're not looking for? And then, of course, we get a good Batman moment where he's getting ready to test something that's going to be a bombshell for the Justice League in a little bit. So what would you think of this section? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a long section, so there's lots to cover here. Um, yeah. Side note, uh, Humberto uh, Ramos, he, he was the main penciler for a long time on the Impulse book, wasn't he? I believe so, yes. All right. I mean, you can kind of tell because he does seem the most comfortable with Impulse, and that style just fits that character really well with the, the big feet, the crazy hair and everything. Uh, not to say mm-hmm. that tim and connor look bad by any means it's just uh, you, you can tell that his style lends itself more to bart's kind of streamlined costume and his uh manic appropriately enough impulsive behavior and you uh, could tell he's been drawing that character more consistently because he's been doing that character more yeah exactly often. and it, it, he, he does a lot more with with the character like having impulse be on the giant penny and then all around the Batcave floor and on the dinosaur in the Batcave at the exact same time. Right. I mean, he, he just throws in some fun stuff there. Uh, this is really cool. Billy Botson's in uh, Fawcett City. That's where he broadcasts from. Right. Uh, like you were saying earlier in that Young Justice episode, I thought it was really clever to have him be the link between the two worlds because, of course, he would be. Right. Um, you know, Billy is only go- is going to exist on the world without grown-ups but then as we see at the end of the issue and then going into the beginning of the next one he's the one that figures out what's going on and then can communicate between the two worlds and then like you said the how batman figures everything out that they are not on the actual earth that they thought they were on i thought was really clever with um i mean it'll come up a little bit later but i believe it was he he took some dust samples and Mm -hmm. the dust was only like several hours old there wasn't anything any older than that so i thought that was pretty clever another character that i thought was in grant morrison's jla series was zuriel i always liked that guy the angel who um, came down and everything uh joined the justice league he was a pretty cool character i liked him uh, he didn't do anything here he's just standing around it's like oh right (laughs) another cool character from from that era Right, right. So you were talking about Bedlam, which is the now the next little section here before we get the discussion with Billy Batston and before this issue ends. So you said you kind of learned how and who and what Bedlam is. So would you like to kind of give the little history lesson from what you learned for the listeners about Bedlam? Well, Bedlam, the character, is effectively uh, an old genie-type character that can effectively warp creation and do whatever he would like that it but you know needing a host to channel the power through that's that's what they came uh came upon get here bedlam itself the word is just pandemonium and all sorts of craziness which is appropriate considering everything that's going on in this world without grown-ups sometimes you know they give a character a name that just sounds cool but means like nothing like right like cable it's like that that name's so cool, but it has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> right. He, <laughs> that he's not hooking up. He wasn't a, d- a direct TV salesman yeah, exactly. before. He, he does became not cable. get us any better reception for <laughs> HBO and Food Network. Right. But no, I mean, yeah, it's a cool sounding name. Bedlam is it's mysterious and it, it's not a common enough word that right. it just sounds boring, but it's also unique enough and has meaning enough that it really fits this character. So I thought it was a a good name for that character for these circumstances, but go ahead with what you were going to say. No, I, that made perfect sense. I'm, I'm glad you said it because I would not have been that articulate (laughs) with Bedlam. (laughs) The scene I really like in the way that it's worded here with Tim 
and Billy is I'm getting the sense that Tim knows who Billy is, but Connor and Bart don't know who Billy Batson is because it's written in word balloons, but they're dotted word balloons as if they're whispering. And Robin is standing far enough away from Superboy and Impulse to not hear it. They're having the discussion of what do you think they're talking about? And Connor's like, probably you. And he's like, oh, huh? Me? That whole thing of Billy is afraid that if he says Shazam, what's going to happen to him? Is he going to disappear like the adults? Where is he going to go? And that's even played into the cartoon series as well, that if he says it, what's what's going to happen? So the trio realize, okay, whoever this Billy Batson is, as far as Superboy and Impulse are concerned, obviously must have been no help because the three of them are going to go off to the place where the Justice League originally was located, Happy Harbor, Rhode Island. Oh, I blew that one. <laughs> so, which is going to obviously be the base for Young Justice, and then that's where the original JLA headquarters was. That is just about where we're going to end this particular first issue with Billy getting ready to say, shuh, and that's the end of that particular issue. So what did you think about the final sequence and then Billy finally gaining up the courage to say the word that we've been waiting for him to say? Uh, I mean, it's really effective dramatically. I like the conversation with Tim, like, come on, I know what who you are and what you can do. Isn't there something you should say in this situation? But then, you know, Billy just freaking out, you know, saying, well, what if I become a grown up and all the grownups are dead. Right. Um, you know, I mean, that that's a valid point because they don't know what happened. So it's, it's really effective dramatically. Uh, I really feel for Billy and his being torn here. Hey, I may be able to blow the lid off this mystery, but I may also just, just die. And that's, that's right. you know, terrifying. So it's a really good sequence there. And then ultimately with the boys, Stumbling upon Bedlam's domain, let's call it, almost falling into a, a pit there. You know that. I mean, it's 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 a cliffhanger, but it's it's an effective one, literally, because literally hanging <laughs> off of a cliff. <laughs> but no, it's it's a really good sequence between the trio there and Billy, and I mean, it's a it's a really good cliffhanger with Billy himself because it literally ends with him saying shut and then the issue is over so you know I mean we we don't have to wait long because we just have to swipe two pages over to find out what happens but it was cool another thing that I kind of going into the next issue just I thought maybe wasn't intentional but interesting is the credits are on the final page of the first issue but the first page of the second issue so that was just kind of an interesting mirroring there And then we also, a few pages before that, we kind of skipped over the section where Batman tells everybody how old they're only seven. It's only 17 hours old. That's the old, that's the oldest thing that there possibly is on their world that they're not even on earth. And they're starting to recount who all has been taken. Uh, Robin, Superboy, Wonder Girl. Wally is realizing that Bart's gone and he's having a really hard time with it. (laughs) So I thought that was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Yeah, that was really funny. But I mean, it's kind of clever that the adults were the one, you know, Bruce even saying, you know, the kids weren't abducted. We were. 
So they were, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that the the adults are the ones who are actually misplaced. Not too much you can go into there. It's just obviously they're going to think that the kids are gone, but technically to the kids they're gone too. And considering that this world isn't any older than seventeen hours, obviously they're the ones who have been displaced. Well, if you're ready, let's get into uh, the second issue here. The second issue is almost the reverse of the first issue. Like you said, it's like synergy between the two covers where the Surprint is now Robin, Superboy, and Impulse, and the bottom are the Justice League members essentially you know, fighting for their lives of this rock creature thing. I think it's a pretty cool, effective cover. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, like with the events going on in the book, like I said, even if it's not a intentional, just kind of mirroring the final page of the first issue leading directly into the first page of the second. It's cool that they flipped the action to having Mike McCone's illustration being colored and in the foreground of the second issue with uh, Ramos's picture in the background. Just one of those cool details that, I mean, shows you that they at least put some thought into how they were doing this. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I appreciated it. I like the cover of the first issue more. Uh, I do too. Uh, I just feel like the, the boys riding on the roller coaster and then the uh, leaguers just being standing stoic in the background. A little bit more just striking picture than this one that almost feels like a Justice League issue number like 17 cover right. you know, just some random issue that's like you know what we're, we're gonna have a cover of them just fighting somebody because this doesn't really tie into anything it's a standalone story and maybe a fun standalone story but uh you know it's not going to be like issue number 50 where we're really gonna <laughs> right. uh you know pull out the big guns and make a really really dynamic poster quality image that you're going to want to hang up on your wall but no i mean it's a fine cover i like how this book starts out with finishing the Zam from the Sha before and everything that's written through here, which is again, now you're, we're explaining who Billy Batson is and uh, his power set and, you know, what he's been going through. But I think the really interesting sequence is Billy just floating in space and seeing the regular earth and then like kids world with a smiley face, for clouds, which happens to be the real Earth, but all of the, I'm almost thinking it's different Earths or different universes that he's possibly passing through, that he's in space, but not really in space, and that he's being slowly drawn towards to where the adults are going to be. So I thought that was a really kind of neat sequence to explain what's going on as a Previously, in the last episode, you're kind of getting that exposition mm-hmm. from Billy, but realizing, holy moly, there's two Earths. Is this where the adults went type of thing? So what do you think about this sequence? Uh, no, I like it. It's really I, – I, I like that just opening page where he sings Zam and then the lightning strikes him. That's some really cool coloring there. Uh, good uses of yellows and whites to give the lightning effect. I mean it's a bright-looking image. So they channeled the look of lightning really, really effectively there. I think it's pretty cool. But then, yeah, the the rest of the sequence is really interesting and trippy and weird with him just floating kind of in the ether there. And then seeing, you know, Kids World with the cloud formation, like a smiley face is, you know, cute. or maybe it's supposed to be 
Antarctica or something. I don't know. Right. Uh, but just displaced or something. Who knows? Bedlam can apparently do whatever he wants. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, it's cool seeing the visual of the two Earths next to each other so you know what's going on. And those poor people in Africa about to be hit by a hurricane. I hope they end up okay. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> right. yeah, I mean, it is cool. I like the visuals here. Like in the uh, issue before where McCone had the repeating Tim Drake's for the kind of flip effect, I kind of like the repeated Billy going through space toward the adult Earth just to give a cool sense of movement there. Um, it's a cool sequence. So we pick up with the boys and their cliffhanger, like we said, literally cliffhanger, that quickly has a has Bart realizing that he feels like he's seen this before, like uh, Nazi dinosaur dinosaurs dinosaurs from Venus, which kind of seems really weird. And then one of the next images we're going to see is a dinosaur with a Nazi jacket on it that ends up inadvertently helping them get out with and i love what we talk about this on the drake all the time that the r logo is just not a logo it's a shuriken that Mm -hmm. uh, he can use and throw the uh, titans tv series does that very effectively which is a nice little nod to the tim drake costume so being able to tie a bat rope around it throw it into the uh, tooth, or actually the tooth, but into the back of the throat of the dinosaur to get the, the boys the out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool, and then seeing Superboy take on a dinosaur. But if that's not trippy enough, we get essentially a cardboard cutout of Captain Carrot, which... Oh, yes. <laughs> there's some really, really cool stuff that ends up happening in this. All of the crazy stuff Morrison would like to do and bring in some of these zany characters. We will get to see a whole bunch of them for a while, but getting to see like the, you are now entering Bedlam. Please watch your step entrance this way. No, this way pointing the boys to where they're going to go. I thought this was a, a really cool opening sequence of the second issue for Robin Superboy and Impulse. What'd you think of this? Yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, you know, everyone likes dinosaurs, but nobody likes Nazis, so I'm kind of torn on <laughs> what to think right. about this dinosaur. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a fun little sequence just cuz it's kind it, it's kind of like the end of Ghostbusters where don't think about anything and then it's like, well, of course the one thing you think about is going to come to life in that case the right. Stay Puft Marshmallow Man realizing the magical properties of this place. I think it's funny that there's a South Park reference. Yes, I thought that was funny. Because <laughs> that was at the forefront of pop culture then, so of course a teenager's going to do it. Is yeah, this the, funny like South Park or, nah, forget it. <laughs> yeah. Captain Carrot is just a fun nod to Captain Carrot and the zoo crew and fast forward 20 years with uh, Grant Morrison writing Multiversity and everything. Wow, yeah. Using Captain Carrot as a, a big character. It's just fun. I like it when comics have maybe maybe something that's not going to be a main part of continuity being like an imaginary character in that world. So something like this is is a is a lot of fun. So I like I like I like seeing that little reference there. Now this next section coming up again is another Matt section and a Bedlam section. That even though this is the this is the main plot of the story. There's just a lot going on in here that I'm just not 
as invested in when it really boils down it's this spoiled brat of a kid that has these powers and doesn't want the adults and we have a blatant ripoff of a Nintendo 64 that I've played GoldenEye a bazillion times on here in uh, one of the pages. Bedlam is feeding him his power and feeding into his ego. So this was just, uh, again, another one of those things like, hey, in case you've forgotten who Bedlam is, this is the another info dump of just his craziness that he is going through without having parents or anybody to answer for. So is there anything that you wanted to say with Crybaby Matt here? <laughs> I mean, I I did like the fact that Matt starts to kind of peek through and almost overpower Bedlam in his personal weakness by realizing this this isn't fun. It was supposed to be fun, but it, it's not fun anymore. And then him just, you know, turning back briefly but still having just the kid just kind of poke through there and just remind you that even if he was being a spoiled little brat earlier he's he's still just a kid Mm -hmm. but then you know bedlam is is feeding off of you know his energy and emotions and everything and overpowers him again reminds him yeah but you have all this power and everything and you know using that so i like that very brief sequence there, but uh, it it does humanize Matt a mm-hmm. little bit. I mean, other than thinking, well, I mean, he's a kid. Obviously, don't want too much bad to happen to him because, I mean, not to excuse things that kids do, but you know, kids right. and teenagers can be dumb, but they can learn from things. So, seeing that he has enough self awareness to realize that you know maybe I'm doing the wrong thing here, at least makes him a little more sympathetic character than he was up until this point. Yeah. So we're starting to get the justice league starting to put the pieces together, them realizing that the earth that they're on is not the earth that the kids were taken from, that this is their universe, that the watchtower that, and I always like it that they say the lunar watchtower, the headquarters of the justice league of America. I always like that when they have to tell you, you know, this is the lunar watchtower that the base is built in and on and around the moon that they're not home the kids are actually home on an earth but they i don't think they've got quite that piece there that i think that's kind of what they're inferring to i think this is where the cartoon or the animated show starts coming in i was expecting to see shazam in here but he's still in the form of billy batston and then the, the shazam part will play in just a little bit so I like how Plastic Man and Green Lantern have to cage him and a Martian Manhunter is going to have to start talking to Billy to piece everything together of what's going on in the news broadcast about Billy was doing. So this is the exposition that the Justice League has been waiting for. Give that back like, hey, I've spoken to Robin. I've, I've seen Superboy and Impulse. So I thought this was a, a really cool scene. He's telling them where they're going so the Justice League can now be heading to the same location on their Earth. So what did you think about this section? Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to get the Justice League on the same page that we are while also putting out there just how all the pieces are going to fit together. And I mean, I do like, even though we know that there's nothing wrong with Billy, I, I do like the fact that they're initially suspicious, because why wouldn't they be? You know, they've been, you know, under the impression that all the kids are gone, but then all of a sudden, there's a kid. 
even if some of them recognize him, it's like, well, how is he here when none of the other kids are? So it's at least believably played off whenever Billy shows up. Yes. I really, really dig this next section with the boys trying to get into Bedlam and then all the Zacky, Zacky, Zany and (laughs) crazy characters that end up coming through almost run over them. But the parts I really like are Superboy going up against Metallo, Robin dealing with the Joker, and Bart dealing with baby Gorilla Grodd and growing up to, you know, adult Gorilla Grodd. Each of them, this is like, this is the Ghostbusters moment. You know, clear minds of everything. Don't think of the one thing that could possibly destroy you. And those things are trying to destroy Robin, Superboy, and Impulse. I thought this was a wonderfully written sequence. I think it's done so very effectively. And I really like the the Tim Drake Joker moment. The Gorilla Grodd is cool. I really like the Metallo, but I like the conversation between the Joker and Robin. I think it's just played out very, very well. And this is where I think this is the redeeming quality that from the beginning of the book where Tim slips on the oil and almost gets his back broken, that Tim is the one that reaches through tag you're it and now each of them is going to fight each other's nemesis which i which i think is really cool so what you think about this sequence yeah i like i mean it's the it ends up being the classic storytelling kind of trope where everybody fights somebody else's nemesis because gorilla grod's gonna know how to fight against a flash or at least a even a a a mental image of gorilla grod made up by impulse is going to know how to best impulse and a imaginary metallo made up by superboy is going to know how to best superboy right but he's not going to know how to best robin and Gorilla Grodd is not going to know how to best Superboy. And then Impulse is just going to drive even the Joker insane. You said it's really well written. It's really clever. It's fun. I like how Tim gets what he, – he doesn't get what this Joker in his imagination was trying to get him to understand. But you know he takes it and realizes, well, if this is an obstacle of my own making – then right. maybe somebody else can surmount it and I can help them surmount theirs and everything. So it was, it is a really clever sequence and I liked how it all played out, especially with the joke of impulse dri- driving Joker crazy just by asking why over why? and over, and, why? Over why? Why? and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. And Robin saying like, Oh, I'm not affected by kryptonite and seeing Superboy sitting on top of the ball of the Empire State Building and having Gorilla Grodd be like, Oh, <laughs> that's that's not who I expected to be up there. I just I that just kinda put a, a big smile on my face. I kinda forgot the the rocks on this planet Earth are it's bedlam going after the Justice League while simultaneously affecting our three heroes in the old Justice League cave. I wanted to ask you about Shazam being in here, that Shazam is inside the cave in this stasis, and this is kind of what's powering Bedlam, if I'm understanding that correctly, that he was hit by the rays, and this is where Bedlam is, this is the whole, like, pivot point of the whole thing so what, what do you make of of this section right here yeah i mean it is kind of strange because it's like well if he's there then how is billy also there right i'm not 
super up to speed on Shazam, Captain Marvel. You know, at this point, he would be Captain Marvel. I think, at least in some iterations of it, it's still technically, you know, Billy's consciousness. But, Mm -hmm. and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong here. I may just be pulling this out of nowhere. So this may not be anything. But for some reason, I thought that what happens is a literal body swap. Whereas Captain Marvel is hanging out at the Rock of Eternity until Billy says Shazam. And then they swap places. Billy's consciousness stays in there because he is the quote unquote, you know, host of Captain Marvel. But then Billy goes to the Rock of Eternity. Again, I may be pulling this out of like whole cloth here. I'm not really sure. Someone correct (laughs) me if it's wrong. So, I mean, it does at least make sense that if if that is how it happens, they were about to swap, but then Bedlam's power caught Shazam. So it does, you know, make sense at least a little bit. But it is a weird, if you're not familiar with every aspect of the characters, you just kind of have to roll with it because, well... You know, maybe not. Uh, I do think we, uh, I mean, we did skip over it a little bit. This part does have uh, what I think was maybe the most touching scene in the entire story. And you may know what it is without me even saying it, but it's when uh, they're in the Justice League headquarters in uh, Happy Mm. Harbor. And Impulse just sees a picture of the League on the wall. And he just keeps focusing in closer and closer on the flash. And then he just says, you know, just really softly, Grandpa. I thought yeah. that was that that was a really nice moment. It really doesn't affect the story, doesn't impact anything. But I mean, it also shows that even though Impulse is going, you know, a billion miles per minute in his mind and can do that, you know, physically as well, he could still slow down long enough to recognize people he cares about, the people that care about him, and recognize the legacy that he has as well. Over, uh, you know, reading this twenty years ago, a couple of things stuck with me just maybe some random images like okay i think i remember that happening but this is the one thing in this whole book that i remember vividly is just this one little sequence here and the weight 20 years ago is a lot heavier when and this has happened twice to bart in this you know little mini series that bart comes to interact with the robin case and tim drake's the one to say hey don't touch that because at that time jason todd was not alive he hadn't become the red hood Hush hadn't even happened at this point. Yeah, and, uh, and Barry was still dead or yeah. at least trapped in the uh, Speed Force. So, yeah, I mean, that, that did carry a lot of weight because we didn't ever think Barry would be coming back. And we can <laughs> discuss whether we think it was a good idea that he did. Uh, <laughs> right. But, I mean, at, yeah, like you said, in that moment, this was the status quo that Bart didn't ever think he would ever get a chance to meet his grandpa at this point. Yeah, and this is the the part that you're also talking about going a little bit farther, where each of them are going to, whatever they can think of is going to be the de- demise of each other. Like, what what is on Superboy's mind that is going to defeat Robin or Impulse? And this is all happening in the old Justice League uh, headquarters, and I love that JLA logo, and they even make reference to the logo. Like, hey, that's the that's the old S.H.I.E.L.D of the logo and Bart has that line of like, well, she, why, why would you carry that into battle? That's which is stupid. like <laughs> stupid, which I really thought was funny. So while all the fighting is going on between Robin and Superboy, and Bart is having his little moment with Bedlam slash Matt here, this is going, Bart is realizing he can do 
just like the little joke with uh, the Joker of like, why, why, why he can get into reset. And he's thinking about his video games like, oh, I can just reset, yeah. start the game over like, oh, I, I was going to die anyway. So I'll just reset the game. So I thought this was a clever little scenario of slowly breaking down Bedlam and Matt and bringing <laughs> it's one of the worst things you can do to a kid that's playing a video game <laughs> is going up and shutting it off. My sisters used to do that to me all the time. If I was playing monsters, gonna date me playing <laughs> Pac-Man or something like that. They would just go up to the Atari 2600 there. That <laughs> should tell you how old I am and hit the little reset button or walk up and pull the cartridge out back when there's no save codes, there's no cheat codes. If you just played four hours to get to level 25 and you shut it off, guess where you start back tomorrow? Level one. Yeah. So I just thought that was clever in a video game standpoint of, you know, reset, reset, reset. And that is slowly starting to bring the two worlds and merge them together, which ends up putting, gets Bedlam out of Matt, but it ends up putting Matt in some type of a catatonic state. So it's not really said after this what his condition is, but a really cool moment ends up happening after all this that all of the adults obviously are just like any parent would. Uh, there was one time where I was in the Smithsonian Institute or in, in the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., and I really wanted to see Christopher Reeve's Superman costume a little bit longer. And my mother wanted to go see the Hope Diamond. So my parents went one way and I was walking in the back of the line and I decided, nah, I'm not going to go see the Hope Diamond. So I turned around and went back to the Christopher Reeve costume. And the story goes, my mother and father frantically were looking all over the Smithsonian looking for me, even went as far as to page for me. And I didn't answer. Rob Myers, please go to the service desk or whatever. Because I knew I was going to be in trouble, so I just stayed there. <laughs> but a feeling I'll never forget is when my mother finally found me. It was that grab on the shoulder of, boy, you're in trouble, trouble, but oh my God, I thought I lost you at the same time. So seeing all the adults and all the superheroes embrace their their predecessors and but be glad that everybody's alive and back together and the almost un-Batman like moment of thanking Tim and saying you know you did good and Tim wanting to stay and allowing it wasn't like come on Robin we're going to go so I thought that that was a really cool moment between Batman and Robin and all the adults. I just like how the uh, story played out. So what did you think of the the end of this and then the the nice little nod that goes into issue one of uh, Young Justice? Uh, I mean, I have gone on the record before as not being a fan of, you know, super jerk butthead Batman. So seeing him almost like choke on the words i'm proud of you robin yes uh, i mean i i know this is how <laughs> batman was and effectively has been for some time i still don't like it i i mean i'm i'm not i'm not necessarily saying that he needs to be walking down the street in broad daylight calling the citizens of gotham chum and neighbor and everything but also <laughs> that wouldn't bother me if he did that either <laughs> right. no, i mean my my thing with Batman is, I mean, he's all about family, rebuilding the family that he lost, making sure that the tragedy that happened to him doesn't happen to anybody again. He wouldn't build up such a huge network of close allies if he was genuinely that cold and, you know, just right. hateful to people. I understand him being focused and being serious and everything, but I, I don't know, just 
having to choke out the words, you know, I'm proud of you. Uh, I mean, I'm not a fan of that, but it's, right. it's still a nice scene. It's a nice moment. It's a good moment for Robin, at least, especially when he, I mean, he's not just proud of, you know, Tim, he's, he says, you know, you and impulse and Superboy, you guys did an excellent job back there. It's a nice turnaround from where we started the story and then seeing where they end up. So I do appreciate that. Even if I don't necessarily love the details about it, I do like the ending. And yeah, it, I mean, it's, it, it sets up, I mean, Young Justice number one, 1998, not 2019, right, uh, right. pretty well with the little um, glint of energy and Red Tornado's eye and the boys deciding that they're going to spend some time there and the... Uh, Justice League headquarters, which you know can lead into their uh, their sleepover there and everything. So right. it's a good ending, and I, I, I liked the clever twist of you know Impulse just being like, "Hey, wait, reset," and then reset, reset, reset. Anytime Bedlam <laughs> tried to do anything else, but I mean, ultimately, it just uh, uh, doing that. It wore out Bedlam, which uh, wore out his hold on Matt, and then Matt just mm-hmm. getting so exhausted from it that he just goes to sleep, and then they take him, you know, away probably for some sort of study or observation or something. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's a good ending. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I have the flip from the very beginning where I was like, oh, I like Mike McCone's art. It really doesn't lend itself to the end of the book since we spent the majority of it in the almost traditional Young Justice style with the big hair, big feet. And now we're kind of going back to where the story started. And Robin Impulse and Superboy, I I think Superboy actually looks the worst out of all of them from an art standpoint. Tim just looks weird. Impulse looks oddly proportioned. So as much as I liked this first story, I, I just kind of wish they would have just stayed with one art style rather than trying to bookend it that way. Like the story was fine. I just, I didn't dig this, the last final shot of Robin impulse and Superboy. I don't think is very good. Uh, what was your thought with the arts? Here? I mean, I think I just realized what it is, is I, I just don't think he's necessarily comfortable drawing teenagers or kids. Yeah. Cause the adults look great. I mean, the, uh, some of the, distant perspective shots look a little weird especially when the worlds start to merge together you still have some of ramos's uh figures for the boys but then mccone's characters are coming in for the adults so there's some weird perspective there too but i mean they're they're far away so it's a little more forgivable but you know the superman and aquaman the flash Captain Marvel, all the adults look great it's that like impulse looks like old like he he looks uh, like an adult just on a shorter smaller body so i don't think he's necessarily comfortable with drawing younger characters and that's that's what i think the problem is i just kind of realized that it kind of came together with me that that's what i think is going on and just makes me not really enjoy it it's not bad artwork it just doesn't necessarily fit yeah well that is where we're going to end this particular episode. And it's really cool that this was originally going to be episode one, but things just kind of played out that we get to start. Everyone loves Young Justice in 2019. So getting to do episode one and where Young Justice is now, and even with the cartoon series being back on, this is where everything all started. And we're just at the tip of the iceberg in the 98 era of the Peter David run. 
that for some really, really cool stuff. So it's going to be fun as we go through this podcast to see what nods are going to go, I should say, back and forth. You maybe what Brian Michael Bendis might look at from this classic series and go, oh, I want to kind of put some nods to the 1998 version of Young Justice. So I was glad to be able to finally read this and get it in the trade. I'm hearing about this book. It was always so hard trying to find the single issue of it. And I was trying to not buy it digitally and I bought it digitally first. Then I said, oh, forget it. I'm just going to get the trade. So I've ended up buying essentially two copies of it, but I really did like this. And having seen the animated series first and then now reading this, the animated series, you know, really kind of makes more sense. The little nods that they took from this. Any final thoughts before uh, we roll out of here? It's a good introduction to the boys together. Sure, by this point in in at least comics, I know Robin and Impulse had teamed up, and I'm sure Robin and Superboy had crossed paths as, yep. as well at this point. I'm not sure when uh, World's Finest was it three? Was it World's Finest yes. three that they teamed up? I'm not sure where this came out. I, I think that may have come out before this, if not around the same time. Uh, so they at least met up, but it's a good, uh, clever story separating uh, how, how they got the adults separated from the kids. A good story where the the boys can grow and work together and work as a team and uh, prove that you know they they have the the metal and the fortitude and the maturity even to be heroes in their own right. Uh, uh, there's some things with the art and uh, maybe some of the storytelling that is dated or just maybe could have used maybe another refresher, another draft. <laughs> yeah. But, but no, I mean, it's, it's a fun story. I really liked it as a kid when I first read it. I still enjoy it as an adult now as well. Revisiting these characters, if nothing else. Well, cool. Well, that's like I said, that's where we're going to end the episode. So on the behalf of Jay, this is Rob signing off saying we will see you guys in a few weeks. Take care. Thanks for listening to Everyone Loves Young Justice Podcast. We are part of the BatmanUniverse.net podcasting network. If you would like to get a hold of us, you can do so a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELYJ Podcast. We are also on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash ELYJ Pod. You can email under the show at ELYJ Podcast at yahoo.com and we will read your comments on the air. If you listen to the show on iTunes, leave a review there. That will help spread the word of the show, and we will read your review as well. Now, if your mode has been crashed, or if you feel a bit whelmed by the show, no infringement was intended. All music and sound clips belong to their respective copyright holders. These are just to illustrate and enhance your listening experience. No coinage is, was, or will be made by this show. Our wives said so. All characters discussed on the show belong to DC Comics. The opinions on this show belong to the two chatterboxes alone. Not that anyone else does, but if you want your voice heard, let us know why everyone loves Young, young Justice. Justice.